Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Balsak, Ferrer, Rinola, Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on September 2nd. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. Today on the show, is Spencer Strider in SP1 next year? Let's talk about it. More <laughs> prospects are on the way. We've got two-star pitchers, sleeper hitters for week 23, and much more. But let's jump in. Oh my good goodness gracious! Scott, we did not talk about, oh my goodness no. gracious, before we started, but no. I, I assume one of us will take the low-hanging fruit, the breadstick. Well, I, I, I kind of feel like there's two breadsticks, right? Do we even, yeah. do we need to talk about it? There's, okay. there's, there's the pitcher and there's the hitter. Do you want the pitcher or the hitter? Well, let's start with the pitcher. Okay. He's all yours. Okay. <laughs> Spencer Strider. Yeah, he's pretty good. Spencer Strider had a his best start yet. His best start yet, historically, uh, made history with this start, at least franchise history. Uh, a, a, a franchise with a good history of pitching, I will note. But uh, none of those pitchers in 56, I guess this is the 57th year in Atlanta, have done what Spencer Strider did today against the Rockies, which is record 16 strikeouts. 16, breaking the Atlanta record, as I said, previously belonging to John Smoltz of 15, which I believe he did a couple times. But anyway... Yeah, Spencer Strider, 16, and he went eight innings. That is his career high. In fact, looking through the game log now, he hadn't even gone seven innings before, and he went eight in this one, allowed just two hits. It was a 40-point start, according to CBS standard point scoring. Do you know how hard it is to get 40 points. I mean, in, in some head-to-head points formats, it's easy because they throw in bonuses for like complete games and shutouts and those bonuses just stack up. And before you know it, uh, a really dominant start could be 50 plus points. But in standard CBS scoring where they don't have those bonuses, a re- it, it, it takes a really, really good start to top 30. I remember we were kind of talking about this earlier when uh, Justin Verlander and Shane McClanahan were going down and it's like, yeah, you know, but it's possible any pitcher could give you a 25 point start and you may not actually miss them that much if you happen to if you happen to thread the needle with the pitchers you stream. And, and we talk about it on the other end of the spectrum in points leagues how um, you know the, the, the floor for a bad pitching performance only goes so low, typically. The ceiling only goes so high. and yet Strider got 40 points. So that, that was pretty impressive in its own right. 
So at this point, yeah, I think the question to ask, and you you brought it up at the top, Frank, is how are we going to value Spencer Strider for this year? Because it's clear he is, let's see, K per nine, where does he rank now? He is at 13.7 K per nine. Among qualifiers, the leader is Dylan Cease with 11.6 K per nine. So full two strikeouts per nine innings higher is Spencer Strider. Let me let me lower the threshold so it's not just qualifiers. Why don't, why don't you go ahead and stay, say stuff while I'm doing that? <laughs> I think Shohei Otani will probably be in the mix as well, Scott, once you kind of lower those qualifications. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this was a ridiculous start. You mentioned the 40 fantasy points. To put that in perspective... Sandy Alcantara, who is the SP2 in fantasy points per game this season, averages 20 fantasy points per start. So this is this one start was like you got two Sandy Alcantara starts in one based on what Spencer Strider did in this start, his fifth double-digit strikeout start of the season. And I, I, I think it's a good conversation to have, Scott, and, you know, one that we'll have in the offseason as well. But, you know, based yeah. on Spencer Strider's age, his trajectory, it seems like he's just kind of getting better as the season is going along. His strikeout upside, I think for all those reasons, and just the hype train, right? Like, what he's doing, like, people are going to get so enamored with it. I think he's probably going to be a borderline SP1 drafted for next season. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening, which would probably mean I don't have much of him because volume is is so important to me in, in terms of have you proven you can handle that big ace workload that justifies a big ace price tag. And, and Spencer Strider's not going to have done that in his rookie season, but it's, it's been awfully impressive. Nonetheless, he's, he's probably going to be at about, mm, he's probably about 140 innings. Maybe it's not clear if he's getting skipped his next turn either, because the Braves have a five game week coming up. I don't know. It's, I, it it kind of surprised me if he was the one getting skipped as opposed to Jake Odorizzi, maybe neither one of them gets skipped, but Braves are the only team with five games next week, so that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, so getting back to what I was saying about the K per nine, if you lower the threshold so you're not just comparing Spencer Strider only to the qualifiers, which is a pretty limited group, actually, he's still, like, among pitchers who've made even just one start this year, Spencer Strider's K per nine is the highest, and it's like one and a half K is higher than Shohei Otani. Mm. So Otani is second on that list, though. Double check, I believe so. I believe that's what I saw. Yeah, that would make sense to me. You know, Scott, I'm looking at your top 12 ranks, and I don't think that we're yeah. missing anybody. Oh, Otani's second, yeah. So I'm, I was looking at ADP just before the show started, from before the season, to see like if I'm missing any pitchers who maybe got hurt, who will be coming back and could be SP1s. There's not really any. So if you look at the back end of your top 12 right now, you have Dylan Cease, who I actually think compares very similarly to uh, Spencer Strider. And in fact, Strider's control has gotten better as the season has gone along compared to Dylan Cease, which really hasn't. It's just been kind of bad all year. And then you have Max Freed, Julio Arias, and Shane Bieber. Like To me, Freed, Arias, and Bieber are, are more like high floor plays. And it's not to discount their ceilings, but <laughs> like if everything goes right for Spencer Strider, he's probably better than those guys, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 the same old conversation that we have had for a lot of pitchers over the years. Do you want the high-efficiency guy or do you want 
the high volume guy who also has really good efficiency with an early round pick. And I, I almost always side with the latter because volume is volume is what bolsters those efficiency stats. You know, they're, and look, I mean, Strider, he went eight innings tonight so that he showed something like, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not trying to make it out that Strider is going to be a bad pick next year. It's just the quality of pitcher he's going to be drafted alongside in all likelihood, I think is going to make him a little too risky by comparison. But yes, if he manages to go 180 plus innings next year and doesn't lose anything performance wise, then he'll probably be a top five pitcher in fantasy. I just think that's that's asking a lot. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense. Uh, last point on Spencer Strider, Scott. I did see someone respond to you on Twitter trying to downplay this start because he was going up against, quote, a minor league lineup. And I just absolutely hate that argument because you have to face the team that is presented to you, right? Like, And mm-hmm. a lot of teams go up against the Rockies on the road. I don't see other pitchers putting up 16 strikeouts in a start. And not only that, Strider has 13 strikeouts against the Phillies in the past month. He's got 12 against the Cardinals. He had nine against the Astros recently. Why are we trying to downplay what Spencer Strider just did? I just hate when people do that, man. It's it's not a good argument. In my yeah, opinion. it's it's my least favorite retort, too, because, okay, it's not literally a minor league lineup, first of all. I get that it's a bad lineup. There are a lot of bad lineups in baseball. Every year there are a lot of bad lineups in it's baseball. It's not like he was Strider. facing Oakland or anything. Come on. And, and again, Strider just did something no Braves pitcher has done in more than half a century of them being in Atlanta. Maybe before then, I just saw the stat about Atlanta. We spent 10 minutes on Spencer Strider. We probably could move on. Oh my goodness gracious, the, uh, the other breadstick here is Joey Meneses of the Washington Nationals who has another monster game. He goes four for six, hit his seventh home run, a three-run walk-off homer, and he had five hard hit balls in the contest. Uh, he's now batting 354 with an OPS over 1,000. He's 31% rostered. He's got seven road games next week, Scott. We were talking beforehand. You said, you know, the matchups aren't great. You know, they're not terrible, but he does have that, you know, he does have that volume. He's He's got seven games next week. So if nothing else, he does have that. Um, how are you handling Joey Manessis? First base, outfield eligibility. Is, is he a must-add for next week? Well, I mean, probably probably can't call him a must-add for next week, necessarily. Outfield is just so bad. you know. I feel like someone's probably starting a third or fourth outfielder somewhere where they're just not that good. Yeah. So. Well, sure, but also people, particularly in three outfielder leagues, they have three great outfielders already, and there may not be a reason for them to bother with Manessas. But yeah, he's, he's looking like one of the most attractive waiver wire pickups for it just among hitters in general here to close out the season you know obviously Lars Newbar's still out there in about a quarter of leagues so he would be even more so he you know he was he was kind of in the same place Manessis is now that's kind of where Newbar was in terms of roster rate a couple weeks ago uh and and then you have the the big call-ups obviously Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson who their roster rates are rising rapidly but they still have a little ways to go and they're clearly more attractive pickups than Manessis. Manessis is a non-prospect. He's a 30-year-old rookie who spent some time in both uh, playing in both Japan and Mexico to keep his dream of breaking into the majors alive. 
And that's generally not a profile you're going to bet on, but I'm not seeing what he's bad at. Like there's nothing in his profile right now. And just, you know, just looking at the tiny sample of major league data where I, I'm going to say, okay, this is clearly unsustainable. The strikeout rate is pretty low. The average exit velocity is great. The max exit velocity is great. Uh, the expected stats, you know, they're not quite, they're not quite uh, the 354 batting average that he's boasting right now. But you know, the the expected batting average and the expected slug are both high. They're both. Statcast says he should be performing well based on the kind of contact Joey Manessis has been making, and he has had a he had a pretty productive year in the minors. So, you know, particularly when you factor in that outfield eligibility, if you need help there, I, I just what are your alternatives? Like, what who else on waiver on the waiver wire right now is more interesting than him? And that's that's what I think. That's why I think these conversations sometimes are more are, are simpler than we make them out to be. Because, sure, I I can tell you it's unlikely Joey Manessis is going to be this good for long. But who on the waiver wire can I say is going to be good for long? You know that that's mm-hmm. that's the nature of the waiver wire. There are not good players on there. Yeah, no, I think it's a fair point, Scott. And look, for a lot of the players we recommend, I think. If you have a need in the outfield or or any position for that matter that we're talking about, you pick up a hot hand and you see where it goes. I mean, especially at this point in the season, it's not we're not really weighing rest of season upside or anything. We're just we're literally riding the hot hand and, and we're taking a look at matchups. So Joey Manessis, you'd be hard pressed to find another hitter who's hotter than him right now on the waiver wire outside of maybe a Lars Newbar. So I think you just kind of pick him up if you need outfield or corner infield help and Let's just see where it goes. Uh, but for all the reasons you mentioned, hitting the ball hard, not striking out, you know, he looks like a really, really good ad right now. Um, and I think, you know, more of a philosophical question this time of year, Scott, I think you could be a little bit more liberal with your drops, right? So someone like Cattell Marte, I was just looking at what he's done recently, which is next to nothing. It, you know, a lot of head-to-head playoff matchups are starting next week. And, you know, if you're not comfortable starting Cattell Marte because he's not giving you much, yeah, like, why wouldn't you drop him for someone like Joey Manessis? Or, like, yep. Whit, Whit Merrifield is still 91% rostered, and he's basically sitting every other game. Like, sure, yeah, drop him for Joey Manessis. Yeah, no, I would say so. In fact, I had an article, it was a couple weeks ago, and maybe some of the information is outdated by now, but it was it was basically just a list of highly rostered players that I'm comfortable dropping. And it included both Cattell Marte and with Merrifield on it. I mean, Cattell Marte, at this point, he's batting 251. He's hit 10 home runs, 750 OPS. I mean, yeah. what are you waiting for him to do at this point? It's it's September. Did you know, you just- if he hasn't come around yet, I, I, I don't know that you should still be counting on it happening. Now, if, if a guy's just slumping who's been really good all year, okay. Like, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't want to risk him falling in the wrong hands and you missing out on the res- the resurgence that's very likely because every player goes through a- ups and downs over the course of the season. But like Cattell Marte, particularly in the context of an, in- an environment change in-, in terms of 
of how hitters on the whole perform. Like the fact that he hasn't really gotten anything going all year. I'm, I'm not going to bet on him doing it now, you know? Yeah. When you read off his stat line, Scott, I was like, is that Cattell Marte or Kyle Farmer? <laughs> it's just, right. It's like, yeah. As replaceable of a middle infielder as you could possibly get. Uh, we did get this question here on YouTube and ask anyone else thinking of dropping Yuli Gurriel. I mean, that's another one. If, if you're weighing Yuli Gurriel versus Joey Manessis, sure, like, yeah. no doubt about it. Like, take right. the shot on Manessis and uh, let's see where it goes. Also, we got another YouTube comment calling him Joey Two Hits, which, you know, I'm all in favor for. <laughs> Last year, we had Frank Schwindel down the stretch yeah. just mashing hit after hit. That could be Joey Manessis this time of year. They're kind of similar, too, you know. Journeyman, uh, haven't really had a chance to play, and, and now Joey Manessis well, is hot. Let's do it. Joey two the hits. Argument, the argument I made for Schwindel at this time last year, and, and really even going into this season, uh, not that that worked out well. He's been a nothing for, for 2022. But like that is a profile that gets passed over very easily. The right-handed hitting first baseman is, it, you know, there, there's a reason first basemen aren't typically showing up high on prospects lists, you know, and especially if they're right-handed hitters like that, is because it's it's such a narrow path to break in at, and you know the majority of the pitchers you're facing are right-handed, so all the left-handers are are going to get preferential treatment over you. There's nowhere else you can play on the diamond, so even as a bench spot, like you're going to use up a bench spot on a guy like that uh, just to to help him break in. Probably not. So you you. You can understand why somebody like Joey Manessis got passed over, even if there may be talent there. All right, let's speed it up a little bit here, Scotty. Have a few other waiver wire hitters wanted to ask you about. AJ Pollock went two for four with his tenth home run, and over his last twenty-one games, he's hitting two sixty-four. It's just not overly impressive, but he's got five homers during that time. He's not striking out. He's got an eleven percent barrel rate, and he's got seven road games next week. Not the best ballparks. He's in Oakland and Seattle, but. He does have seven games nonetheless. 30% rostered. Other outfielders in that same range, Scott, include Joey Manessis, who we're talking about, Oscar Gonzalez, and let's throw Manny Margot in that mix. Where does Pollock rank among that group of four? Okay, I think I'm actually going to go Manessis number one here. As much as we like Oscar Gonzalez, he would be number two. And then I think Margot three, Pollock four. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. Just had to ask. Shea Langoliers went two for five with his third home run. However, those strikeouts are really adding up. He's batting just 232. He's got 25 strikeouts, just one walk. That's a 43% strikeout rate. He is not hitting the ball hard at all. Uh, when he does hit the ball, you know, he's popping a few home runs here and there. 32% rostered. Does that number need to be higher, Scott, for Shea Langoliers? Not really. I don't know exactly the percentage of two catcher leagues on our site. He should probably be rostered in the the vast majority of two catcher leagues, but virtually no one catcher leagues. Mm-hmm. I have the podcast points league, actually. I've just been streaming catcher all year. It's been a mess. I've got Shea Langoliers right now, which in a points league, that is not his preferred format considering how much he strikes out. So I don't know. Yeah. Hope, hopefully I can find someone better for the playoffs next week. Two middle infielders in deeper league, Scotty. I know you like Michael Massey. He's been sitting every fourth game or so. I don't think it has anything to do with like the service time, trying to keep the rookie eligibility because he's been up for a while already. So maybe yeah. they're just legitimately sitting him against a lefty every now and then. Uh, but he goes three for three with a double here on Thursday. He's batting 281, still hitting the ball hard, 
putting the ball in the air a lot, 50%, that's probably too much for a middle infielder because we're not really seeing much power come. Um, but the barrel rate looks really good at 17%. He's 17% rostered. That's Michael Massey. And I know it's gross. I just got to ask. Elvis Andrews went two for four with a run and an RBI in 12 games since joining the White Sox. He's hitting 271 with a homer, a steal, and he's let off two straight games. He's got those seven road games next week. Uh, it's got Michael Massey, Elvis Andrews in deeper leagues for a middle infielder. Yeah, I do like Michael Massey. It's It hasn't worked out so far. I, I agree they're, they're a little beyond the point where they can control his service time or, or controls at bats to help him retain rookie eligibility for next year. He's like 40 away already from that being uh, no longer a factor. I think the main reason he's been sitting with some regularity is just because the performance hasn't been enough to keep him in the lineup. Like if he were to get hot, I think we'd see Massey play close to every day Mm -hmm. and go on three for three. I mean, that's a nice start, but you mentioned the lack of home runs. I think that may change. And I know I've, mentioned this before for Michael Massey, but you you know, the the high exit velocity and everything. His X slug according to Statcast is five twenty-five. His actual slug is only four oh four. Wow. So there is definite room for improvement there if he keeps making the kind of contact he's making. Let's take a look at one waiver wire pitcher. Not much action going here on Thursday. Kyle Bradish, really strong start once again at the Cleveland Guardians. He goes seven shutout Two hits, three walks, five strikeouts in this one. Only nine swinging strikes. But he has now thrown 15 scoreless innings over his last two starts. And the overall numbers, Scott, still don't look great. I know we've talked about Bradish, and he has a little bit of intrigue. He's 9% rostered. Looks like he might line up for two starts. You could tell me if I'm wrong on that. But uh, CBS has him going up against the Blue Jays and the Red Sox, which I don't really love. Yeah. I believe he is not actually in line for two starts. Uh, I think CBS is confused because there's a doubleheader for the Orioles Monday. Mm. So that's often a point of confusion. I just have Jordan Lyles here going twice for the Orioles. Uh, And Bradish, even though he's coming off back-to-back scoreless starts here, remember the first of those starts, he threw his slider 51% of the time. and Oh, okay, maybe he's figured something out here. That slider use was back down to 35% in this one. So he didn't stick with it. And, you know, five strikeouts in seven innings, that's nothing to be impressed with. I would not be, I would not be that eager to pick up Kyle Bradish. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> if there's anything we've learned this week, you probably should play it a little bit safe when it comes to streaming certain starting pitchers. And, We saw that with Eduardo Rodriguez on Thursday as well because he was up against the Seattle Mariners, which typically is not a terrible matchup, but he gave up six runs over four innings pitched. Five of them were earned. All right, whoop-de-doo. Doesn't matter. Uh, Scott, we got another one where we just kind of got duped. I I don't think that we were over the moon for Eduardo Rodriguez, but... He was definitely a... He was my 10th sleeper pitcher for this week because I had 10 sleeper pitcher spots to fill. And I, I do think I said something like that. So I'm not totally taking the blame for this one. Uh, but yeah, the most discouraging sign, I think, for Eduardo Rodriguez coming back from that long absence, which started out as an injury, but then 
became uh, more for personal reasons. His swinging strike rate across these three starts is 4%. It that's, is really hard. That's terrible to have yeah. a swinging <laughs> strike rate of four percent. It's actually a little below four percent. I'm rounding up. So, yeah, I am. Um, it would take a really favorable matchup for me to recommend him. However, uh, however, begrudgingly, again. It looks like he's at the Angels next week. So, ah. I would. <laughs> I don't have him among my. Is he against the Angels? I don't. Uh, you tell me. Yeah, he is. He is. He is yeah. against the. Angels. But the thing is, I, I'm a little bit more weary of the Angels matchup now that Trout is back. Otani's no, been hitting true. well, so I don't think they're as. They're still an okay matchup, but it's not nearly as good as it was, yeah. you know, two or three weeks ago. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I wouldn't. I I had a really hard time filling out uh, my ten sleeper pitchers list for this upcoming week, but I didn't did not include Eduardo Rodriguez on it. All right. Let's. Go to one other pitcher here. Clayton Kershaw made his return. He was at the New York Mets, and he had a pretty rough first inning, but then really settled down. Wound up going five innings, one hit, one run allowed, three walks with six strikeouts, 13 swinging strikes on 74 pitches, which is a great swinging strike rate, uh, frankly, against a pretty good Mets lineup. And he had eight of those on the slider. The pitch mix looked fine. The velocity looked fine. And whenever Kershaw has pitched this year, Scott, he's still been really good. 2.59 ERA over a strikeout per inning, just 18 walks and 16 starts. The question is, are you okay starting him next week at home against the San Francisco Giants? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I know someone emailed in recently and said, stop calling the Giants a tough matchup. (laughs) It actually was a Giants fan. He's like, I've been watching them all year. He's like, maybe they started off well, but they've really slowed down. Which is fair. Uh, over the last 14 days, their weighted on base average is 28th in Major League Baseball. So uh, I don't think we should be too worried about the Giants matchup moving forward. Get Clayton Kershaw back in your lineups. Scott, we have a bunch more prospects on the way, and we will start with, of course, the Yankees. I don't know what to expect, but we'll talk about it. it was Oswaldo Para- Oswaldo. Oswald Peraza. That's going to be real fun for broadcasters. They have an Oswald and an Oswaldo now on the team between Peraza and Cabrera, so that should be fun. Uh, but Peraza was a much higher-rated prospect. He's top 75, top you know 70-ish prospect overall in Major League Baseball. And this season in the minors was hitting 259 with 19 homers, 33 steals, a 777 OPS. And I know he got off to a terrible start, Scott, the first two months, uh, but since the start of June, he's batting something like 300, I think even over 300. So 13% rostered, seven home games next week for Oswald Peraza. How are you handling his promotion? All right, so I'll give you an exact stat line here. Okay. Since June 25th, oh, you know what? He actually had kind of a little mini slump at the end of his stint to AAA, so that brought the numbers down a bit. But still, since June 25th, a span of 45 games, Oswald Peraza is batting 299 with 11 homers, 18 steals, and a 908 OPS. Again, that's in 45 games. So you project that over 150 games, that's 30 homer, 50 steal pace, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's had a he's had a really good half season at AAA, and he's not the like they they haven't even hired a shortstop prospect in their system, Anthony Volpe. 
so he's he's like a more disciplined hitter than uh, Oswald Peraza, I would say, among other things. But Peraza shows potential, and given the gripes Yankees fans have had with uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa this year, I I imagine we're going to see a lot of Peraza. I doubt they'll play him so reg. I, I doubt they'll be willing to let him lose his rookie eligibility. So, as we've said for Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson yesterday, that's going to mean sitting occasionally, no matter how well he performs. But you know that power speed combo at a middle infield spot is enticing, and he needs to be picked up picked up at least in all roto leagues. I would say in any league where you need help at shortstop, mm-hmm. anywhere where you can start a middle infielder in addition to your second baseman and shortstop. I think Peraza should be rostered. So yes, 12-team Roto, 15-team Roto obviously goes without saying, but Oswald Peraza, 13% rostered, widely available. And I agree, Scott. He's probably going to sit every third or fourth game because the Yankees just do that anyway. They're, you know, they they like to rest their players off and keep them fresh or whatever. So I imagine that will be a similar case for Oswald Peraza. You mentioned Anthony Volpe. Doesn't affect this season, but he was actually promoted to AAA to replace Oswald Peraza there. Just a name to remember for next year. He'll probably be a midseason call-up, June, July, maybe something like that. If he's awesome, you know, maybe even sooner. Spencer Steer is another name, Scott, coming up on Friday for the Cincinnati Reds, and he came over in the Tyler Malley trade. I believe that's the one it was. Yes. So this season in the minors, a little bit of a different prospect than Peraza. 274 batting average, bigger pop, 23 home runs on the season, 879 OPS. He's 3% rostered. What do you think about Steer, and who would you rather have, him or Peraza? So Steer's going to start out with second base eligibility, which is a little more useful. And um, Trent Rosencrantz, who is one of the Reds beat writers, I believe for The Athletic, he told me that, he told me over Twitter, that uh, he thought Spencer Steer was going to play every day. He is he might pick up eligibility at third base. That's where they have the clearest need. They've been starting Kyle Farmer there. So maybe that, you know, maybe Cattell Marte still is a better option than Kyle Farmer because of that. <laughs> I would say the power production, and Steer's been a, one of the pop-up prospects this year. Nobody thought much of him prior to this year. The numbers certainly stand out, but the, the home run output might be a little misleading. He's he's a little. I, I this I, I know this is a convenient comparison because they're in the same organization now. But Steer kind of reminds me of of Jonathan India, where he has some pretty good on base skills. He's versatile on the infield, um, and he manages to maximize his middling power by pulling the ball in the air well. And so hopefully he can continue to do that. Obviously, he's going to the most homer-friendly park in the majors. That helps his chances. I would say he's less of a priority than Oswald Peraza. He's just not the same caliber of prospect, but he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. All right. And that's Spencer Steer again. Esteiri Ruiz was called up by the Brewers on Thursday. He's an outfield prospect. He He's the one that stole all the bases in the minors this season, but he didn't start in the game, so I just don't think he's going to play much for the Brewers. The other name, Grayson Rodriguez, made his first rehab start at high A. He's been out since June with a lat injury. He only recorded four out to give up a hit, two walks, and a strikeout. Just a name to throw on your scout team for now. Uh, you know, maybe if he builds up, he can make two or three starts towards the end of the season, uh, especially if the Orioles need to help. So we'll pay attention to him. Uh, Ken Waldachuk made his debut, Scotty, and he did flash that 
that strikeout upside, but the control was definitely an issue. He went four and two thirds, one run allowed, four walks to six strikeouts. He had 15 swinging strikes, and he distributed those swinging strikes pretty evenly. I like that. Seven on the fastball, five on the changeup, three on the slider, and he's 20% rostered, widely available. The problem for next week, he's at home against the Atlanta Braves. Right. So you can't use him yet, but if, if he performs well against the Braves, that's going to make him a really interesting option over the, what at that point, I guess, would be the final three weeks of the season. And lastly, we spoke about him yesterday. Awesome debut. Gunnar Henderson, how does he follow up the home run? He goes one for four with his first steal. So flashing power and speed in his first two games. He's up to 57% rostered. But if he's available, I think you probably want to get Gunnar Henderson on your team, especially based on what he did in these first two games. Also notable, he started at shortstop this time instead of third base. So Jorge Mateo was actually out of the lineup, which... We wouldn't want to see become the norm, and I'm not saying it will be, but it's clear Henderson's not just going to be starting at third base, and, and that's it. All right, the fall is coming, right? As you gear up for the fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Let's be honest, working around the right people makes your job infinitely better. It just becomes easier to get things done, to think creatively, and have fun doing so. If you're looking to expand your business, LinkedIn Jobs really is a no-brainer. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Simple tools like screening options make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash FBT. That's linkedin.com slash FBT to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And one more notice. Uh, thank you all for sticking around throughout the season. We appreciate all the love and the support. We will be here throughout September, as we've mentioned, but we will be dropping to four podcasts per week. So just wanted to point that out once again. Not that you're, you wake up on uh, Monday morning and you're looking for FBT, which we do appreciate, but it won't be there because we're going to be four times per week moving forward. And for next week in particular, we'll go, uh, we'll have a podcast in your feed Tuesday through Friday because of Labor Day weekend. Uh, but then after that, we'll let you know which day we'll take off each week. But four podcasts per week for the month of September throughout the rest of the regular season. Let's take a break and we will be back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The news and notes. We don't have much going on, but we do have some stuff to tell you. Tony Gonsolin's forearm strain isn't progressing as quickly as the Dodgers hoped. He'll go for an MRI on Friday, and it appears 
that probably wasn't in fa- uh, a phantom IL stint. So rough timing, lots of injuries, and uh, hopefully we can help you get through it with our Week 23 sleepers coming up soon. Christian Yelich left Thursday's game with neck discomfort. Anthony Rizzo could miss the entire weekend series with that back injury. believe he's going to see a specialist, and I guess he'll get some kind of further diagnosis based on uh, whatever they tell him, but it's it's been a rough go. In the past couple of months, he's he's missed a good amount of time with this back injury. That is Anthony Rizzo. Luis Robert left the White, so- uh, White Sox and flew home to witness the birth of his child. He has missed the previous five games due to a sore left wrist. Eloy Jimenez left Thursday's game due to right leg soreness. This is the third time in seven days that he's dealt with a leg issue. And, you know, Scott, with everything on the line, I think it would be pretty hard to trust Eloy Jimenez just in a weekly lineup league, right? I mean, he's been in and out of the lineup. I think he's been pretty good when he's played. Probably want to see more power from him, but he's just... I don't think he's right. I mean, this leg issue has been an issue for a while now, so I don't know. I don't think I would trust him if I play in a weekly lineup league. Well, he's been in the lineup a lot lately. Uh, Missed game here and there, I guess. I don't know. I I mean, uh, in three outfielder leagues, I I, I would say he's less than must start, but in five outfielder leagues, you probably still have to start him. And and even in three outfielder leagues, you'd, you'd at least have to weigh your options. Carlos Carrasco will return on Sunday to start against the Nationals. And what does that mean for David Peterson? He probably will go bye-bye, but at least David Peterson will get to start on Friday against the Nationals. So if you started him in weekly lineup leagues, it looks like you will get at least one start out of him, which is uh, good news, obviously. Nathan Nathan Avaldi threw recently, but isn't progressing as quickly as the team had hoped. Tanner Houck was shut down from throwing on Thursday, and manager Alex Cora isn't sure that Houck will return by the end of this season. So that sounds like it's still going to be Garrett Whitlock, and you know, they've been mixing Company. in Matt Barnes. So <laughs> Yeah, Matt Barnes. John Schreiber's gotten a save now and then. It's, yeah. it's one of the messier bullpen situations. I, I would say uh, Jimmy Hergett, who we talked about yesterday for the Angels, like I would prefer him over over what's going on in the Red Sox bullpen if I'm if I'm looking for saves specifically. Yeah, and the Red Sox really aren't winning many games either. So, uh, I yeah, I guess that's another reason to avoid that bullpen. The Mets announced that their catcher prospect Francisco Alvarez has been diagnosed with a loose body in his right ankle, but won't need surgery to address it. So, some good news there. Week twenty three preview, Scotty. Lot riding on this. Head-to-head playoff time. It's the final month of the season for those in Roto category leagues. You're chasing down other people. You're trying to hold on to your lead. So no pressure, Scott, but Mm. in fact, all the pressure. The schedule for next week is pretty (laughs) spread out. We have one team with five games, the Atlanta Braves. I was looking at their team, Scott. I mean, even though there's only five games, I don't really see who you can bench, right? Because all their hitters are pretty awesome. So I think I just leave my Braves in. Yeah, I think so. Maybe William Contreras, if he doesn't Maybe, play every day. Are you going to pick up a second catcher and start him over William Contreras in a one-catcher league? And If it's yeah. a two-catcher league, obviously you want to be sitting William Contreras. So I just think, you know, if you're, if, if you're in a position to start somebody like Robbie Grossman or Eddie Rosario, which is a pretty bad position to be in, then sit them. But the rest of the lineup, yeah, I think must start. 
I am starting Robbie Grossman in a 15-team Roto League with five outfielders. Doesn't feel great, but... gross. Starting Grossman. He hasn't gross. been so bad. He hasn't been so bad. 20 teams with six games next week. We have seven teams with seven games, and then two teams with eight games, the Brewers and the Giants. Starter sit these fringy two-star pitchers for next week. We've got Martin Perez at the Astros and at home against the Blue Jays. So I don't think he's must-start. We talked about it yesterday. But I do think every head-to-head points league, you would start him. And even in Roto Leagues, I'd, I'd lean yes. It's just It just depends what my ERA whip situation was like. If, if I had a little bit of cushion in those categories or, or if I didn't. Joe Ryan at the Yankees and versus the Cleveland Guardians. Lean yes on him too. Jesus Lazardo, tough matchups at the Phillies and at home against the Mets. Also lean yes on him. This one is pretty scary, Scott. Freddie Peralta, velocity way down at the Rockies in Coors Field and at home against the Reds. That one, not so bad. I, I, I think it's. I, I think you could start Freddie Peralta in any format in a two-start week, but obviously there is a little bit of danger there. So it's, it's a questionable one, but in most circumstances, I do think I would start him. Jamison Tyone at home against the Twins and the Rays. I will say points league only. And lastly, Marco Gonzalez against the White Sox and the Braves. I don't think so. I want to do it. Don't do it. In a points league, if you're desperate for volume, I guess you could, but I want it. Don't do it. Two-star pitchers to add and stream for next week, Scotty. Who do you have there? Uh, Well, before I get to that, I do want to mention Zach Wheeler and Jack Flaherty both are... As of now, expected to come off the IL and start their their team's first game next week, which would make each of them a two-star pitcher for next week. Each with especially favorable matchups. Wheeler's going against the Marlins and Nationals. Flaherty would be going against the Nationals and Pirates. So, you know, generally speaking, I like to give a pitcher who's who's been on the IL is a, a start to you know make sure he's fully built up, make sure there are no lingering effects from the injury, whatever. But when it's two starts right out of the gate with such good matchups, I mean, obviously it's it's easier to justify starting Wheeler because he wasn't out that long, and you know he's been great when he has been healthy. So I do have him in the must start category here for for two star pitchers, but Flaherty. I really didn't want to start Flaherty fresh off the IL, but it's it's going to be hard to resist that going against the Nationals and Pirates, as I said. And, and if there is one reason for reassurance with him, it's that he looked really good on his minor league rehab assignment, his most recent start at A, He struck out nine over six and two-thirds innings, did allow three earned runs, but still, it was... Uh, 23 swinging strikes. He he looked more like the Jack Flaherty we remember than the guy who had those three short starts back in June, I believe it was. So anyway, want to point that out. Okay. Johnny Cueto's going against the Mariners and A's this week. He's right at 80% rostered, so not that available, but maybe available in your league, particularly if you play somewhere other than CBS. 
And uh, he's coming off a good start Thursday. I know he had that disastrous start last time out, seven earned runs, but those have been few and far between the ERA, still below three for Johnny Cueto. Got to start him with those two matchups. Patrick Sandoval, we talked about him after his great start Wednesday against the Yankees. His next start is against the Tigers. This is just a one-star pitcher. You want just the two-star guys, right? Yes. Okay. We'll get to Patrick Sandoval in a minute. Oh, we will. Uh, Justin Steele is a two-star pitcher, provided he's healthy. He left his last start with, uh, I believe, a hip issue, but he's supposed to throw a bullpen over the weekend, and if it checks out, he'll go Tuesday and line up against the Reds and the Giants. Jose Quintana has those same great matchups Flaherty does, Nationals and Pirates, so even though he's been not so great lately, I think he qualifies as a sleeper pitcher. And I don't love this one, but again, I got to come up with 10 names here. Michael Waka. He's been okay recently. He, he gets the Rays and Orioles, which are two pretty good matchups, especially since that Orioles matchup is at Baltimore. So I would probably only do that in points leagues. And obviously, just if I had a needed starting pitcher. Uh, but you could do worse than Michael Waka. I kind of like the Waka call, Scotty. I know he's up there in terms of roster rate, 79%, but... Since he's come off the IL, what he's doing looks a little more sustainable. Swinging strike rate is up. Numbers look good. Keeping the walks down. I like it. And the matchups aren't terrible. At Tampa Bay, at Baltimore. Uh, so I can get behind that. Johnny Cueto, by the way, on Yahoo is only 59% rostered. So if you do need a two-star pitcher over there, he is widely available. Which two-star two pitchers should you stay away from? Next week, well, you know, we already talked about some of the fringy two star pitchers, but these are the ones. All right. You're chasing volume. You could just talk yourself into it. Let me get this guy in my lineup. Fortune favors the brave. Let's not do it. Let's not let's not chance this here with playoffs on the line, Scotty. I'm a lot more scared of Freddie Peralta than you are. I, I know the results have been there, but the underlying numbers look really bad since coming off the I.L., this velocity being down, a start in course field. I think it's a points league only thing. So, man, unless you're really desperate and you're just like chasing wins, and I can't even say strikeouts because he's not getting that many strikeouts. Um, that's probably the only way I would play him in Roto, but I would try and stay away. Is there a name that stands out to you? Fortune favors the brave. So you're saying a guy who is 94% rostered is your fortune favors the brave. I, I'm scared. I'm trying to play it safe, Scott. Everything on the line, playoffs on the line, ratios on the line. I think you're perverting the whole fortune. Brave favors the brave. I am telling people to bench Freddie Peralta. That is what I'm telling you to do. Fortune fortune favors the brave is supposed to be somebody you're dragged, kicking and screaming into recommending. Not somebody who is like somebody who's barely rostered, who if you squint hard enough, you could maybe see it working out okay. Not... Not somebody who's universally rostered who you're telling people to sit. That is, we've mentioned we've mentioned p- pitchers before in that same vein, Scott. I feel like Giolito has been a fortune favors the brave two star pitcher before, right? But or like, yeah, okay. you shouldn't do it. You, sh- you you probably shouldn't do it. Do you but you're to- just saying you shouldn't do Freddie Peralta. All, All right. right. Anyway, do you want to give whatever. you a, another name, Scott? It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't fit the, the mold of the fortune favors the brave two star pitcher. Okay. I mean, there's not really, uh, there's not really many great names on the list. Honestly. Yeah, no, there's not. All right, who do you got? Uh, I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you had somebody. No, I mean, uh, okay, Alex Wood. 
yeah, Dodgers Cubs. He was the one I was looking at too. So yeah, yeah, that you, one really bad matchup, and he hasn't pitched that well lately. But he does have those interesting underlying numbers. Don't do it, but you could do it. Yeah, I think Marco Gonzalez is kind of in a similar boat there. Like you, you don't want to do it. You really shouldn't do it, and especially against the White Sox. Like they don't hit well, but they do hit well against lefties. Uh, and the Braves crush lefties too. So Marco Gonzalez, eh, just don't do it. Single star streamer, Scott, you already mentioned one. You've got Patrick Sandoval going up against the Tigers. And it looks like, I can't believe you're doing this. There's four other names on the list, Scott. And one of them, you might get some pushback for. Oh, well, <laughs> I understand. So yeah, I mentioned Sandoval. Ross Stripling is another one star streamer. He's at Texas. Not... You know, the, the Rangers have been become a pretty good offense, so that's not a, an especially favorable matchup, but Stripling's been reliable of late. And again, I have to come up with 10 names here, and that's why Matt Manning is also on this list. No, you can't do it. I, I didn't want to do it, <laughs> but I, I tried to find other options, but he is at Kansas City. I, I believe his is his upcoming start Kansas City. His bad start was in Kansas City, right? No, his was... bad start was against the Mariners. Okay, so he has an up a start coming up this weekend against Kansas City, and then the following start will also be against the Royals. So if his start goes well over the weekend, then you know maybe you can feel a little more confident about recommending him here. But yeah, I don't feel great about it. It's one of those uh, it's one of those situations where you just have to have a recommendation, and. Uh, Hopefully you don't have to do it. Hopefully you don't have to follow that one. <laughs> Jake Odorizzi at Seattle I have on here. Again, you know, if I, if I wasn't wild about the Manning one, I'm not going to be wild about these other two. Jose Suarez against the Tigers is the last one. Obviously a really good matchup, but a five-inning pitcher with control issues. I, I can only get that excited about it. All right, let's move over to the hitters, the best hitter matchups for next week. We've got the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, and the Guardians. The worst hitter matchups, the A's, Marlins, Rangers, Braves, and the Padres. With that being said, Scotty, some sleeper hitters for next week. So Lars Newbar, I have to talk about him again. Yeah. Cardinals have the second best matchup. He's still available in enough leagues that I'll keep bringing it up. You know, I'd, I'd probably want to start him regardless of what the matchups are at this point, but it helps that the Cardinals have good ones. Also, uh, they weren't listed among the teams with the five best matchups, but the Orioles have pretty good matchups. Seven games, all against righties. I think we got to get Gunnar Henderson in here as a sleeper hitter. Not sure his roster rate will remain below the 80% threshold for long, but it is right now. So I'm recommending him. As well as his teammate, Jorge Mateo. Hopefully they don't continue to cannibalize each other's at-bats. That would be unfortunate. Uh, you mentioned the Red Sox having the fourth best matchup. So Tommy Pham is here. Uh, the Brewers have the best of all in eight-game week. I think another rookie, recent rookie call-up, Garrett Mitchell. Because, let's see, only two of the eight games are against left-handers, so Garrett Mitchell should get plenty of run, hopefully steal a few bags. 
And I will go ahead and relent and put Joey Manessis on this list just because I mean it's, it's we're at a point in the year where it's hard to find anything worthwhile off the waiver wire, much less 10 things worthwhile off the waiver wire going into a week, and Manessis is at least hot. But yeah, the matchups could be better. All right, a few names in deeper leagues, Scott, that I found on some of these teams. Kesson Hira, I know he's been playing a little bit more recently. Obviously, the Brewers have all those games, and three of them in Coors Field. For the Cardinals, Brendan Donovan has kind of been heating back up, and he's been playing pretty consistently for them. Uh, Corey Dickerson's another one. Just These are deeper league recommendations. For the Red Sox, Christian Arroyo. I mean, come on. that's uh, I've become the Christian Arroyo guy. I don't know how that's happened, but it's happened. So I will talk up Christian Arroyo. And uh, Kike Hernandez. He's been playing pretty well since returning from the IL. You know, those guys, they'll probably sit out once throughout the week. Uh, but when they play, they've been pretty good. Let's get into the rest of Thursday's action, Scotty. Do got some pitching leftovers. Part one. Logan Gilbert with his first scoreless start since June 14th. He was at the Tigers. That definitely helps. He goes six shutout with nine strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes in that one. Drops the ERA down to 3.35. Johnny Cueto, we mentioned as a sleeper pitcher. Uh, Solid start against the Royals. He went five and a third, one run allowed, five strikeouts there. And then Chris Bassett posted a quality start up against the Dodgers. He goes six innings, two runs, Four strikeouts allowed, and his ERA now 3.32 on the season, and it looks like he's at the Pirates next week. So, fantastic matchup for Chris Bassett. Scott, anything you'd like to add on those three? Bassett, Cueto, Gilbert. Yeah, Gilbert had begun to concern me, and I had actually moved him down quite a bit in the rankings. His previous five starts, a 6.75 ERA, but even worse, 5.1 K per nine in that five start stretch. Wow. So he bounces back with nine strikeouts in six innings. The only thing is it's against the Tigers, as you mentioned, which have made pitchers like Aaron Savale look like big bat missers. Don't know exactly what to make of that. Whether Logan Gilbert can reverse this trend of fading and, and this is the start of it or not. I'm not sure at this point. Otherwise, what were you going to say? I was going to say Gilbert's going up against the White Sox next week. and Pretty good matchup, yeah. Yeah, I know they've struggled against right-handed pitching this year, so I think Look, I'm okay with that one. You would definitely start him over Matt Manning, okay? Yes, I would. <laughs> definitely. Yes. I would start him over any of those one-start sleeper recommendations. It's good to contextualize things this mm-hmm. way. Except for Patrick Sandoval against the Tigers. That's the one of those one-start sleeper pitchers I mentioned who I would start over Logan Gilbert against the White Sox. I agree with that. Some pitching leftovers, part two. Shane Bieber tied a season high with 11 strikeouts. He went seven innings, three runs, 11 strikeouts, obviously. 12, uh, 20 swinging strikes, rather. The three runs he gave up all on solo home runs, so uh, not great. Three homers in a start, but if anything, you want them to be solo homers, obviously. Um, Shane Bieber, he's been really good this season. Merrill Kelly has also been very good. He had a strong start against the Brewers. He went seven shutout with seven strikeouts. In that one, he lowers his ERA to 2.84. On the other side, Brandon Woodruff, not so much. At the Diamondbacks, five and two-thirds, five runs allowed, four strikeouts. Those pesky Diamondbacks, man, they're hitting everybody, not named Bailey Falter, apparently, which Mm. can't really explain that, (laughs) but... Baseball. They are some sneaky snakes. Indeed they are. 
Anything, Scott? Uh, Woodruff, Kelly, Bieber? No, not really. Some hitting leftovers. Julio Rodriguez went one for three with his 22nd home run. Ty France, who I believe we spoke about last week as a hitter who has slowed down quite a bit. He's getting back on track. He heard you. Yes, he did. He heard you. He went two for four with his 17th home run. He now has three homers in his last four games. Justin Turner went two for two with a walk, an RBI, and a run scored. And since returning from the IL, 19 games, he's betting 333 with one homer, 13 RBI, two steals, which you shouldn't really expect. He's hitting the ball hard, but just not any power, Scott. So I don't know. And I will mention Miguel Vargas was back on the Major League roster beginning Thursday, and he was not in the lineup. And I think Justin Turner's turnaround has something to do with it. Might be right. Francisco Lindor went two for four with his 15th steal. Those three solo homers for the Orioles went to Cedric Mullins, his 12th, Anthony Santander, his 24th, and Ryan Mountcastle, his 19th. Adolis Garcia went one for four with his 22nd home run, a three-run shot. Alex Verdugo went three for four with his eighth home run. Scott, we have not talked about Verdugo all season long. It's probably because he hasn't really done much. He's flown under the radar. I will point out, since the start of June... 79 games. He's hitting 320. So if nothing else, he's hitting for a high batting average. He's kind of doing it in the most Stephen Kwan way possible. Only five homers during that time. 43 runs, 38 RBI. That's a nine homer, 81 run, 72 RBI pace over 150 games. So like the batting average is good. He's hitting a lot of doubles, but just not really much beside aside from that. Yeah, I'd looked. I'd written down that exact same stat since June first. Hey, look at us! Games. I mean, hit, hitting three twenty over half a season's time is—it's impressive. Nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, I, over the last twenty-eight days, I mentioned that's the furthest time frame that I can go looking at points scored in a, in a head-to-head points league. Verdugo is the fourteenth-ranked outfielder over the last twenty-eight days. So, the position's not great. He's playing well. Mm. You know. You're, you're probably starting say, in a point. If, if this is what Verdugo is going to be, Quan's better. Quan walks more. Quan steals more bases. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather have Quan, even yeah. if even if we can count on Verdugo to hit over 300. Yeah, Verdugo's had a lot of chances. He's been in the majors a good amount now. I think we kind of know who he is at this point. Xander Bogarts went two for four with three runs scored. He now has multiple hits in seven of his last eight games. So that batting average. Rapidly climbing. I think I saw it was up to 287 or 288, something like that. Rafael Devers went two for five with two doubles and three RBI. He was scuffling big time in August. 163 batting average, 514 OPS. I haven't seen anything in terms of like an injury that he's playing through. The numbers didn't look that far off, so might just be unlucky for the month. So, man, I want to worry about it. You know, I just said that as if we're still in August, Scott. It hasn't even like. (laughs) <laughs> process yet that we're in September. So, uh, yep. yes, the month of August is over, but yes, Devers was very bad in August. Christian Walker hit his 31st home run, which uh, I believe is a career high pretty easily. He probably actually already had a career high, but I heard it on the broadcast, so I'll mention it. I, I called... believe his previous high was 29. Okay. Hey, awesome season for Christian Walker. The call to the bullpen, some updates here. For the Oakland A's, A.J. Puck entered in the eighth inning with a one-run lead, two outs, and a runner on second base. He then gave up a game-tying single, and the A's would eventually lose in extra innings. 
For the Mets, Edwin Diaz entered in the eighth inning. They had a three-run lead. He was facing the heart of the Dodgers lineup, three, four, and five. He did give up a run. Uh, Adam Ottavino then came in for the ninth, and he picked up his third save of the season. This is kind of interesting because Ottavino has gotten three of the Mets' past four saves now, and twice. Once, I think, just Diaz was unavailable, but twice Diaz worked the eighth and Ottavino the ninth. So it seems like Buck Showalter's changing his approach there in a way that's not so beneficial for fantasy. It's almost like Buck Showalter is approaching these games already as if it's the postseason, right? Like he's just putting in his best reliever when he needs him most, which we've seen from other teams. But I mean, Edwin Diaz is such a lockdown closer. We just wouldn't imagine him being used in that way. But yeah, these games mean a lot. I mean, the the Braves are right on the Mets' heels. So I want to say, just prior to his ousting in Baltimore, Buck Showalter made a high-profile mistake with his closer Zach Britton not using him in a crucial spot in a playoff game. So maybe he's still haunted by that. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I I remember it very vividly. I just. I think yeah. they went into extra innings and he just never used Britain. He was waiting until they got the lead and then they just never got it. So it yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he's kind of learned from that. For the Orioles, Felix Bautista walked one but struck out two for his 11th save. For the Rangers, a real rough night for Jonathan Hernandez. He entered with a three-run lead. He recorded just one out. He gave up four runs on four hits and three walks. He took the loss. And if you play in a CBS points league and you have Jonathan Hernandez... Minus 14.5 fantasy points on the night. Mm. Yikes. For the, Not great, Bob. For the Braves, Kenley Jansen tossed the clean ninth for his 31st save. Streamer, Scott. Playoff matchups, people need help. And I know you hate this segment, but we need to help them. So let's suck it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate this segment because I, I wonder if it actually does more harm than good. But that's fine. I look some of the questions that people ask me on Twitter. Should I? I'm desperate. I need to stream this person. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of the names that we talk about. Are you, so. are you desperate though? Yeah. Right, let's see. Let's do it. Friday, we've got. I'm not even going to say Kyle Freeland. Don't play him. JP Sears at the Orioles. <laughs> Dean Kramer versus the A's. Daniel Lynch at the Tigers. Domingo Herman at the Rays. And David Peterson versus the Nationals. I like Peterson against the Nationals. If you're really stretching it. Kramer against the A's and Lynch against the Tigers are doable. Mm -hmm. And I would rank them in that order. Peterson, Kramer, Lynch. On Saturday, we've got Brian Bayo versus the Rangers, Nick Lodolo versus the Rockies, Austin Voth versus the A's, Drew Smiley at the Cardinals, Aaron Savali versus the Mariners, and Jake Odorizzi versus the Marlins. I think Odorizzi's my favorite here just because of supporting cast. Well, not not just because of that. Also, the Marlins are awful. Austin Voth against the A's is okay. And, well, Nick Lodolo against the Rockies. You know what? I, that's my favorite. Nick Lodolo against the Rockies in Cincinnati, followed by Odorizzi against the Marlins, followed by Voth against the A's. On Sunday, we have Rowanzi Contreras versus the Blue Jays, Spencer Watkins versus the A's, Matt Manning, the Matt Manning, versus the Royals <laughs> and Jason Alexander at the Diamondbacks. Uh, so, yeah, how rough was it filling out the, the sleeper pitchers list for next week? With the same matchup, I am not going to rec- recommend Matt Manning as a streamer pitcher this weekend. Don't do it. Yeah, I yeah. would say Friday and Saturday is much better for streamers. If you're really desperate on Sunday, 
I don't hate Spencer Watkins against the A's. I mean, there's more reward for Matt Manning than there is for Spencer Watkins. But yeah, more risk too. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.